This is the Andrew Burchett Podcast, episode 47. Have you ever heard God's voice? It was the prophet Elijah who was in the wilderness. He was on the run from the wicked Queen Jezebel when he heard God speaking to him. His encounter is very helpful to us as we consider how do we hear God's voice today some 2,900 years later. So let's take a quick look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's the context of this passage. Now, Elijah, he's a great prophet. He performs some of the greatest miracles in all the Old Testament. And he speaks both to the southern kingdom of Judah on God's behalf, and most of his time is focused on bringing messages to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, this land was ruled by the wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now, there was about three years without rain, and at the end of that period, Elijah challenges the priests of a god named Baal to a contest to see whether Yahweh, the one true God, or Baal, was a more powerful god. This showdown takes place on Mount Carmel, and it was a high place where gods were known to live and were worshipped. God vindicates Elijah, and he shows everyone that he is El Elyon, the highest and most all-powerful God, God over all other gods. So after this showdown, the prophets of Baal were killed, and Queen Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. She says this, May the gods deal with me, be it ever severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, she's threatening to kill Elijah by the next day. Let's pick up the action in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah has just experienced his greatest victory and the highest of highs, and now he's fearful, hiding, and depressed. Oftentimes when we have had our greatest victory, the enemy tries to come in and take our joy to rob our excitement about what God has done. We've got to be really careful after having our greatest accomplishments for God because we're very vulnerable for the enemy to come in and begin to really attack us. So here's Elijah. He's asking God just to take his life. He's so like so many of us who've experienced depression, he retreats to sleep. Perhaps you can relate to Elijah. He is being threatened in a very real way. And I think many of us would do the same thing. We would run for our life. Picking up the action again in the rest of verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there was by his head some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. 
The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So God doesn't abandon Elijah, and God doesn't abandon us during seasons of the dark night of the soul where things are very difficult. God comes to meet us. He comes to strengthen us and to love us back into a place of health. I love the fact that God sends an angel of the Lord, one who many consider to be Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, to encourage and physically feed Elijah food. It's the practical side of how God cares for us. God isn't just interested in what we can do for him. We aren't his employees, and Elijah certainly wasn't his employee. We aren't called his servants, but we are considered sons and daughters who he cares for in every way. And so all the ministry that we do with others, it all flows out of being loved by God and being with him. Being precedes doing in the kingdom of God. And so the Lord takes care of Elijah and then takes him on a journey from the Judean wilderness to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. It's a 200-mile journey. And the 40 days and the 40 nights parallels the time that the people of God were in the desert as they were coming to the promised land. And I believe that God was using that time to prepare Elijah to experience God in a more powerful way on his mountain. So Mount Sinai is where God meets with Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments. It's a high place. It's a holy place where God dwells in a very powerful way. Sometimes we need to experience God and receive direction, encouragement, and hope. It makes sense to go where God has met us or others before. And while God won't be put in a box, and he seems to rarely do things the same way twice, there is something about certain environments where it feels like God is closer to us and where we can hear his voice more clearly. Many call these places thin places. And I believe that the high places of worship were marked by a nearness to the supernatural unseen realm. Whether it was in worship of Yahweh, the true God, or lesser gods, these geographical locations attract those who are seeking to hear from the spirit world. So thin places in the Bible include places like the tabernacle and the temple and Mount Sinai. And certainly the spirit of God met people in other places besides mountains too. This past week, I was at a Christian campground at Lake Tahoe that has been operating for 99 years. It's a place where it seems easier to hear God's voice. The quietness and the stillness of nature help me to hear God more clearly. And it is probably the absence of the clutter of my normal responsibilities and the long to-do list that probably focuses my listening ear some more. There was a peace in that place as I walked along the path in the falling snow, looking at one of the most beautiful lakes in all the world. So Elijah arrives at his mountain retreat on Mount Sinai and takes shelter in a cave there. 
It is in this still, quiet, remote place that Elijah hears from God. And though the Lord led Elijah to that holy place, the first thing that God asks is a question. God doesn't ask a question because he doesn't already know the answer. He's allowing Elijah to hear himself giving voice to his self-pity, fear, isolation, and most importantly, the subtle thought that Yahweh is not able to protect, to help, to save, to turn the tide in the land that he's living in. Maybe you feel the same way as you look at our country, the country you live in, and you think, how could God ever turn the tide here? So I can relate to Elijah. And continuing in verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Do you ever feel like no one else is standing up for God and that you're somehow the only one who's going through these present circumstances? We've all felt like that. So God tells Elijah that he's going to allow him to experience his presence. This is God's instructional moment to Elijah in a dynamic display of power and contrast. Verse 11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. In the ancient Near East, when a god revealed himself, it was connected with battle. Gods were known as warrior gods who would fight on behalf of their people using thunderbolts with lightning and fire. Sometimes the power of a deity would stir up a stormy wind or an earthquake to show the power that it held. And while our God Yahweh has the most power, he is all powerful, other lesser spirit beings wield the very real power and will use their power to convince humans to serve them. This false god named Baal was said to have a handful of thunderbolts that he would throw. God is revealing his power to Elijah, showing him that he is still working, still fighting, and still in control of the world. All the noise of the wind and the fire and the earthquake represented God the warrior, God's willingness to fight for his people. And then God whispered in a still, small voice. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, he replied the same thing he said before. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah tells God the same thing as before. 
I believe he's asking God, what do I do next? And it's quite possible that the first time Elijah gives his monologue to God, he did so with a complaining, defeated tone. Well, that's just my imagination. And this time, I imagine that the tone is more confident, but still possesses a question to God. Well, what do you want me to do next? It's an honest question. It's a question that we ask God continually. We listen for God's voice as Jesus followers to get direction from him on what to do. His voice to me is seldom loud and audible, but it's more like the whisper of God in 1 Kings 19. God does answer Elijah's question about what's next in verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go over to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. This is the king. Also anoint Jehu son of Nishmi king of over Israel. And then anoint Elisha to succeed you as the prophet. Jehu will put to death any of those who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any of those who escape from the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah gets his marching orders. They're very specific, and he obeys God. He makes these two men kings, and he recruits his successor as the prophet in Elisha. As followers of Jesus, we are all on a journey to learn how to hear the voice of God and be led by him. If we take time to quiet ourselves and to step into thin places of stillness, the Holy Spirit will speak to us, spirit to spirit, and give us encouragement, direction, and hope. For the next few months, we'll be teaching, writing, and podcasting about hearing the still small voice of God. Come along on this journey of learning and awareness of what Jesus is saying and doing, because he is always whispering with his still, small voice.